The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. I see some people brought their journals. That's great. And uh, it's, it, you can write in those journals, okay? And then uh, if, you don't, if you don't have a note uh, pad or pen, you got a phone, uh, put it on airplane mode, but you can take notes, okay? Yeah. Uh, because you need uh, note takers are learners, all right? Mm-hmm. So we encourage you to take notes and the scriptures that we give you, the principles. And we're talking tonight about having a Jesus-centered marriage, mm-hmm. having God in the middle of your marriage. And if you would turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9. This is like our foundational scriptures. And this is, uh, says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. The scripture says one will put 1,000 to flight, but two will not put uh, 2,000 to flight. Two will put 10,000 to flight, right? So when we have agreement and unity, our power goes up. Two increases your power. And really, I think the, the highest way that this works is in marriage. It's in marriage. Ecclesiastes then 4.12, we'll skip down to the 12th verse, says this. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. I believe this is talking about the devil. We have an enemy that is real. Just as Jesus Christ is real, how many know the devil is real? And he doesn't like you. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but he doesn't. <laughs> And he wants to do things to take you down. And so we have to understand, we wrote the book Devil Proof because we we know that there's a war that goes on in our lives on the earth. The devil wants to, uh, if he doesn't take you out, at least diminish your influence on the world. Because we're here, we've been hearing about this in church. It's like our theme for the year. It's, It's the kingdom of God. We, we are enforcers of the kingdom of God, right? And so, uh, we are here to, to uh, formulate the kingdom of God on this earth. So two can withstand the enemy, but a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So that threefold cord, this is talking about marriage. And marriage is not just designed for a man and a woman, but it is designed to have Jesus in the middle of it. Right. So marriage at its highest and best level has to have Jesus in the middle of it. Right. Amen. Now, we're going to go back and look in the beginning of of the Bible, and we're going to look at Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve were in the the garden, you know, when you think about what happened uh, in the world, God created the world. He created God as a God of great order, so he created the world in day one, two, three, four. And every day he created something, it was created so it could could, uh, be the foundation for what he did the next day. Does that make sense? So... uh, God got everything in the earth ready and organized, and then he brought man and woman on the scene. And the main thing that this first marriage lost in the very beginning was they lost the presence of God. And marriage is not just an agreement between a man and a woman. It is covenant. It is a covenant relationship. Covenant is stronger than a contract. Covenant is sealed in blood. Covenant is is established, uh, we won't get into the, the, the ancient covenants, but they were, in, uh, in, they were designed to be established forever, yes. joining people together. And covenant in marriage is till death do us part. It's the most sacred agreement that two people can have. 
It was, me, be, it was meant to be lived out with God in the middle of it. We talk about this in our book, that when Adam and Eve fell, they sinned. Remember, they were hiding in the garden. And God came to fellowship with them. He did that in the cool of the day. And uh, when God came, he knew what had happened. But he said, he asked him this question. He said, Adam, where are you? Now, God knew something uh, disastrous, if you will, had happened. And he was not just looking for Adam geographically. He was asking the question, Adam, where are you? Or in the Hebrew, the way this reads out when you plow it as is very revealing. God is saying, where is the light? And God recognized, so sad. Can you imagine the sadness of this day? God recognized that they had lost the light. They lost the presence of God. But thank God Jesus came, right? And Jesus came to restore everything Adam and Eve lost that day in the garden. He came to bring it back, starting with our marriage. He is called the second Adam, right? And he came back to restore his presence in our marriage. So we're going to go back to the very beginning and see how God intended marriage to work. Marriage was not created as a priority. It was created to be preeminent. Yes. It is the foundation of everything God created for the advancement of his kingdom. It preceded the nation of Israel, where God has a covenant with Israel, still goes on today. It also preceded the church age in which we live right now. Uh, because if we don't have marriage, really, it, the marriage is the foundation of the church. So marriage is the foundation of everything. So we're going to begin reading here in uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And this is very early on after God's created everything in the earth. And he hasn't even created man and woman yet. But he makes this declaration for the purpose of people. See, the, the reason for the earth is for people to inhabit it, right? right? And he makes this declaration for the purpose of marriage. And I'm going to read this in the voice translation because it's so powerful. And uh, I'm going to begin reading in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. I'm going to read this slowly. And I'm going to point out some things as we go. So here we go. Genesis 1, 26. God says, Now let us conceive a new creation, humanity, made in our image or with the characteristics of God in these people, fashioned according to our likeness, or we are uh, created in our function to operate like God. People are not gods, yet we were created to operate like God. Isn't that amazing? I'll keep reading. And let us, talking about Father, Son, Holy Ghost, let us grant them authority. That means the ability to rule and to reign. Now, remember that word reign. We're going to come back to that, okay? Over all the earth, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the domesticated animals, and the small creeping creatures on the earth. Verse 27, so God did just that. He created humanity in his image to reflect, and remember that word reflect, to reflect God to the world. He created them male and female. So God created us to, uh, and my iPad just went crazy. God created us first to rule and then, then to reflect. And why is it doing that? <laughs> All right. And then verse uh, 28, then God blessed them, that's a man and a woman, and gave them this directive, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth. That means to reproduce, so remember that word too. Uh, I make you trustees of my estate, this is what God did for mankind, so care for my creation and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, 
birds of the sky, and for over every creature that roams across the earth. So write this down in your notes. The three purposes of marriage, the three purposes for you coming together with your spouse are, number one, to reflect, number two, to reproduce, and then number three, to reign. We are created to reflect, to reproduce, and to reign. So let's break these down, honey. First of all, we're created to reflect. Marriage is created in God's image to reflect the Godhead to the earth. That's our job. Now stay with us. This is, is going to get good in a minute. You ready? Uh, that means we are to reflect Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and this is how you need to look at marriage. Marriage is unity in diversity. It's unity in diversity. Uh, the best example of that is the Trinity. There's one God, but there's three distinct personalities. The same power, the same attributes, the same glory, yet they have mutually distinctive roles, but they're still one. And the closest thing to that is marriage. We have the same purpose, but not the same function. Male and female were created equal, but different. We'll get into more of that in a little bit. Male and female complement each other. Male and female are both dominion leaders, but they lead differently. Men lead by authority. Women lead by influence. They're influencers. Men, uh, male and female respond differently to everything, and most of you in here know that. <laughs> male and female have different needs. So there's, there's distinctive roles, but uh, there's a story you're going to tell about the Amazon River. Yeah, this is a story that we that somebody that really else, will help you understand kind of how this operates. Yeah, this, I think this is descriptive about how men and women, we're, we're, when we come together in marriage, we're one, yet you don't lose your personality and your right. distinctiveness. So listen to this. I'm going to read this. Several years ago on a trip to the Amazon, we, this is a couple writing, saw a combining of two rivers that captured the essence of a good marriage. In one of the rivers, the water was grayish-brown, and the other a bluish green. When the two rivers merged, the result was something very powerful and impressive. We watched to see the new color of the river as the two rivers converged to make one river. However, the color of each river was not lost in the merger. One remained gray-brown, the other blue-green. They flowed alongside each other. The newly created body of water did not obscure the separate contributions of its two original sources they flow together side by side as one, but they maintain their original colors. That's descriptive of marriage. You're different. You're one, but you're different. And you never lose your, your individuality. No. And you were not create, one was created to dominate the other one, either man or woman. No, because in the original scripture, if you'll notice, it says you'll dominate the earth, but not people. Because both of you are dominion leaders in a marriage. You just have different roles and different functions. You know, a little, a little just what I've seen growing up. I grew up in the, in the 50s and 60s. I was born in the 50s, raised as a kid in the 60s. And uh, I was raised out in the panhandle of Texas. And my dad was a strong leader. He was very strong. Very, he wasn't a Christian then. He got saved before he went to heaven, thank God. But... He was a very strong dude. I thought my, my dad was indestructible growing up. But my dad had this kind of personality that would just dominate my mother. We were talking about this this afternoon. And she, she was just like a, uh, you know, a, 
he just kind of engulfed her. Mm -hmm. And after he passed away, my mom went through a kind of a metamorphosis of discovering herself again. And uh, it's a funny story because my mom, at the age of 81, remarried. She remarried a guy that she went to high school with. <laughs> and this guy was so, so, so opposite my dad. This guy's real gregarious. My dad didn't talk much. This guy talks all the time. You know, in fact, I, you can't be around him very long because he just talks, and, right? Yeah. His name's Billy Tom Young. That's a good Texas name, isn't it? But, uh, but, but you know, I look at that, and, and that was not really the way God wanted that to work. God wants us, each of us, to have expression. You don't lose who you are just because no. you got married. No. But, you know, this is like being one in Christ. You don't lose your individuality in him. You know, you, when you get saved, he moves in you. And then he's in you, and you're in him, but you still are you. And he doesn't just dominate. He created you to be like you are, man and woman. So cool. He enhances who he made you to be. You were carefully and wonderfully made. And nowhere is this nature seen more clearly than in a Christian marriage. So we're talk, let's talk about these, these words, reflect. And I'm going to talk about the man for just a minute, how God created the man and how he was to reflect God as the man. So go to Genesis 2-7 in your, in your Bible. Your and, and let me say this as you're turning there. One of the things we want to emphasize today is that it said God wanted us to be in his image. And so we're going to begin to explain to you how you can be in the image of God with your function as a man or a woman. Because that's what God wants. See, our marriage is supposed to show the world what Jesus and the church looks like. And you'll see that as we go along. So when we say reflect, we're talking about how will a man reflect the image of God? How will a woman reflect the image of God? Yeah, great. So Genesis 2, 7. Let's read this. And the Lord God, this is, this is everything's in order. God's made this declaration of what he wants man and woman to be in verse chapter 1. Now we're in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 7. God starts walking it out. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. There's so much there. But God takes dirt. Men came from the dirt. It's very interesting. Men came from dirt. Women didn't come from dirt. I think that's kind of like you see already how God created us to think a little differently. Because men, you know, for the most part, like to get dirty more than women. Men are more apt to go back. It's like the dirt calls back to us, right? It's like men, you know, we, we're more, we hunt, and not that women can't do any of these things. I'm not being sexist, but, you know, we're more likely to get dirty, and we, we mow the yard, and we, you know, that's men. Whereas women, they didn't come from the dirt. Woman wasn't created from the dirt. She came from the man. Mm -hmm. That's why she don't like you bringing dirt in her house. It's a different way of thinking, right? So God create, put, and he breathes into this man. And, and think about this too. God created just one. Now God creates people still. He could have created a hundred or a thousand or a million. There's seven billion plus people on the planet right now, they tell us. A lot of folks. And God creates them every one, one at a time. Yeah. Nobody has the same fingerprint. How does he do that? Nobody has the same voice print. God made you. You know, you may be like somebody, but you are you, right? I've been, you've been told you look like somebody. I have. 
I've been told I look like, one time I was, a guy came up to me and said, man, you look like that actor, Jack Nicholson. And I didn't know what I thought about that. But anyway, <laughs> maybe I do, but I'm not Jack Nicholson. And, and you're, you, we are who God made us individually. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Just like that. So God creates this one, and this man is going to be like the foundation of everything he does. Well, let's go to uh, chapter, or Genesis 2, 15, 15 verse. We don't know how much time passes. We're, and we're talking here about uh, we're, called, we're, called, we're created to reflect God. It says, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. He was very clear about this, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. He didn't say, you may die. It might, you might die. Uh-uh. He said, you eat of this one. Now, he had all these trees God gave him. But he said, this one, that's, God says, that's reserved for me. And the day you eat of it, you're going to die dead. Now, he did die, didn't he? And he, because he did eat of it, he didn't die in the natural law, but his heart died. And so everybody born has that. We all fall short of the glory of God and fall, right? That's sad. But that's why Jesus came, because we couldn't fix that ourselves, but he did, right? So anyway, let's, uh, he, Adam was created to reflect the Father in Jesus, Right? Because John 14, 9, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so God created Adam, and then he trained him before he got married. And there are four things that this, these three verses here tell us that he did, that, that he had in place in his life before he got married. Number one, he had an active relationship with God. He was, uh, it was a father mentoring his son. This is the way it's supposed to work. Fathers have sons and daughters, and they're supposed to mentor them. And that comes first. He had an assignment. Number two, he had an assignment, an active vision, and he had a job. God put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it. He gave. He was a farmer. You know, farming was the first vocation. I know a little, about, a little bit about farming. I grew up on a farm. So it was the very first vocation. And he was to work that garden. And he was to not only tend it, but also to watch over it, which means it was a twofold job. He's, he had to work the garden, but also uh, the Garden of Eden actually means this. It's interesting. It means We write about this in the book. It means the hedge of eternal life. So there was a hedge around this place. Why would you have a hedge? Up? It's like a privacy fence. And God's inadvertently telling Adam, Adam, there's going to come something in this garden that's going to try to take this away from you. And you're going to have to guard it. And you're supposed to be the man who's the guard of your home. He's, he's, t he's training the, him in that. So he had an assignment, an active vision. Number three, he had a place to live. Listen, never let your children marry, or your, especially your daughters, gentlemen. Don't let your daughter marry a guy that doesn't have a place to live. <laughs> Needs a place to live. And then number four, he had disciplines in his life. God trained him to, to you know, he, he said all these trees you can enjoy, except this one tree is in the mist garden. That is the one I don't want you to eat from. So God's, he, he's saying, I want you to be blessed and enjoy life. But in your being blessed, I want you to honor me. That was an honor of God. That tree represented so much. I think it represented keeping yourself pure. It represented the tithe. God's, it didn't say tithe, but I believe, in other words, honoring God first with your life is what that was all about. 
So Adam had those first, uh, Adam had those four things in place before he got married. Adam's first job was to worship and walk with God and obey God and learn to say yes to the good and no to the bad, learn how to work, learn how to serve God. We don't know how much time was passed there, but Adam's first uh, job was to walk in with God and worship him, and then the plan came into focus. So what happened next? Well, you'll notice that he didn't create Eve at the same time. And uh, Adam was created first for the sake of order, function, and responsibility. The man is the leader because he's the responsible one. And let me just tell you something, guys. When you stand before God, it will be you that will give an account for your family. If you notice in the garden, he didn't go to Eve and, and, and address her first because she's the one that actually ate the fruit. He went to Adam because he said it was your responsibility to guard this and not let this serpent in here. And so that's why it's called the sin of Adam. So that's, that's why man was created first. You are the responsible. You are the foundation. You know, a lot of times uh, we talk about the man being the leader, but really... Uh, you think about a leader, you think, well, he's the one that's up here. But actually, no, he's, he's down here. Because the, the husband is the foundation layer of the family. He builds the foundation on which that family stands with his leadership, with his uh, walk with God, and with everything that he does. You're responsible to be the, the greatest leader of God in your family, not your wife. Not your wife. Uh, Adam was created first and then Eve for a reason. It established the alignment, now listen to this, it established the alignment of authority and purpose by design. Her design and function was different but very much as important as Adam's. The scripture says very plainly that you're equal but you have different functions. Uh, A woman is a joint heir with an Uh, with her husband in Christ. She is equal to her husband, and she was created from the same DNA as her husband, but with a different function and a different role. So women, the image of God that is declared in a woman or reflected in a woman, where the husband's more like the father and the son, you know, they're the protectors and the guards and the teachers and the leaders. The woman's reflection of the Godhead is more like the Holy Spirit. She's very much like the Holy Spirit. I want to read the, the attributes of the Holy Spirit right quick because it's, it's very revealing about uh, what a woman's like. She's a comforter. She's a helper. She's an advocate. If you don't think they're advocates, you better mess with their kids. They will come after. I mean, mama bears are real, okay? Uh, she's a counselor. She's an intercessor. She's a strengthener. And she's a standby. That's the attributes of the Holy Spirit. And that's what you see in the woman. Uh, It's so cool, though, because a lot of times submission and an alignment of authority has been taught in such a way that it makes women feel like they're not as good as the men. And that's not true at all. Like I said earlier, you are both dominion leaders. Now, God decided that he was going to bring Adam a gift. He said it is not good for him to be alone. And so it says he's going to bring Adam a helpmate. God says he's going to bring him one. But here's an interesting thing. In the Hebrew, when I studied the word out, the word helpmate 
It's not helpmate. A lot of people call it helpmate. It is not helpmate. It is help meet. And it's, it's totally different. It's the Hebrew word ezer neged. Now, the word ezer means help or helper. That's why the book of Ezra means God is my help. And it's found about 21 times in Scripture, and every time it's found, the Ezra word in Hebrew, it's almost like a life-sustaining life help. It's like if God doesn't show up, you're going down. That's how strong a word this is. She was sent to be a helper. And uh, God told this to Adam. He, I mean, he actually talked to Adam about this because he had to put him to sleep and remove a rib from him. And like we said earlier, this was his son. And I don't think he just snuck up behind him and bonked him in the head and put him out. I think as a son, he said, I'm, I'm going to do something that's going to be special. And, uh, and I'm going to bring something to you that you've got to have. Because it never says that Adam didn't like being alone. It never says he was unhappy being alone. I mean, his best friend is God. He's got the whole garden to himself. He's got the remote to himself. He can do anything he wants to, go hunting anytime, do anything he wants to do. But God said, God said, ah, this isn't good. This man should not be alone. And the word alone there means all in one. That's good. Because right another there. reason all is Adam's looking around and he says, hmm, everybody's got pairs but me. And God's my best friend, so I must be God. So, you know. He could have gotten really puffed up. And nothing can get a man back down to earth like a good woman. That's so true, babe. Yeah. Anyway, so he says, I will make a helpmeet for him. Now, the, the, the word helpmeet in Hebrew is so interesting. It means, Ezer Neged means the strong military ally that sees the enemy. They that's were developed in your book too, if you yeah yeah. It's it's a strong military ally. She is not your enemy. She is your ally. And when you understand how covenant works, you know he talked about marriage is covenant. In covenant, there would be two, maybe uh, warring. There would be warring tribes or whatever, and two people would get together, or two tribes would get together, and they would make covenant, and they would watch each other's back, and they were able, the two of them together, to fight battles stronger because there was more than one. See, that's how marriage is. You have an ally, and God himself said man needed help. And if God says you need help, guys, you need help. He said it. And so your wife is one of the most important things that God gave to you. Now I want you to go to um, Genesis 2, 21 through 22, and we're going to talk about the rib and what this really means. Um, and the rib, uh, the rib in Hebrew, is, the, is the, the root to it is called tesselah, and that means wisdom. If you read much about women in the Bible, you'll find that there were a lot of women. The matriarchs, three of the matriarchs, were found by a well. And a well is always water, and water nearly always represents the Holy Spirit. And so there's something about women that God has given them a wisdom to be like the Holy Spirit in your life. Because uh, 
the Holy Spirit, when he comes in, he doesn't do things for you. He helps you do things. He leads you. He guides you. He shows you things. That's his role. You know, he's not going to come up and do what he's called you to do by, he's not going to do it for you. You have to actively walk it out with faith. But that same kind of a heart and spirit was built into a woman. And so let's go to verse, uh, let's go to verse 21 first. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall up on Adam. And while he slept, and like I said, I believe God had talked to him about this. It wasn't a surprise. They agreed to this. And the reason I know that is because the scripture says God doesn't do anything until he asks, tells the prophets. Well, at that time, Adam's the ruler of the world. He's the ruler of the entire world. So he's going to tell him what's going on. He may not have understood it all, but he did. He said he took one of his ribs or a part of his side and closed up the place with flesh. Now, in the Hebrew, uh, the word rib there or the part of his side, it actually means in the Hebrew that when this surgery took place, it's like he cut him right in half and pulled what was going to be the woman out of him, which meant after this, this is like the marriage, the marriage, uh, what happens in marriage. Once he pulled her out of him to build her, he was half a man without her. He would never be complete without her again. And that's how marriage is. And then it said that he closed up the flesh. Now I want you to think about Jesus in the church. It took a wound in the side to get the bride. See, very holy, very holy. In other words, Adam had to sacrifice his life to get his bride, just like Jesus did. It's all pictures, all pictures. That's how precious she was. And let me tell you something about Eve. And I, I teach this, and I can't prove it with Scripture, but I know the heart of God. I believe that when he took that out, and he took her DNA out, and he began to create her, and he fashioned her so much different than a, than a than a man. You know, he, with a man, he just kind of took a bunch of dirt and... <laughs> there you go. You know. Wow. Shows, doesn't it? But with the, it, he didn't make her from the dirt. He made her from the DNA of Adam. But he said, I'm going to fashion her to be a perfect complement to him. And then uh, he fashioned her totally different. Because when Adam saw her... He went, wow, but he also said, this is woman, which means the man with the womb. The man with the womb. And God had a real reason for creating that, because later on, after the fall, to get Jesus into this earth, he had to borrow the womb of a young woman to get him back. So that womb was very necessary. That's why she had to be created. There's so much wonderful, intricate stuff in this about the woman. And then the rib or the part of the side which the Lord had taken from the man he built into a woman and then God himself took her by the hand after I think he spent a little time with her. I really do. I just can't imagine a man that just got his daughter and he just ushered her over and he says, let's run over here and here you can go with this guy. No, that was his daughter. He loved her. I'm sure he spent a little time with her. I'm sure he talked to her about what was about to happen, that he was going to give her to a man that he had prepared and gotten ready. And as he was her father, 
He was her father. I love that. But then it says he brought her. He took her by her little hand and he brought her to the man. No fear, no all faith, just beautiful picture. That's why in the wedding, you see the father walk him down the aisle. That's God. God walked, God walked her down the aisle. And there stood Adam. Uh, I love it. So he built, he built the rib. He built into a woman. He brought her to the man. And the word built there is the Hebrew word, once again, bainah. And it means wisdom. But get this. It means the ability to read between the lines. It's, it's always been there. It, everybody's always talked about it. Women's intuition. There is something about a woman that she has, the strong military ally that sees the enemy. She has an ability to see things and be tender and open her eyes spiritually that, so she can see things. And a lot of it is to guard and to help. It's all to help. It's not to hinder. She wasn't given to you to nag you. <laughs> to... <laughs> She was given you to help. And let me tell you, when that help thing's turned on, it's on night and day. And they are helping you whether you want that help or not. So true. So true. Stop lights. Go light. Did you see this? Did, are, yeah. No. Yeah. Here's, here's what I said a stoplight. I, I'm driving because the man's in charge, right? So I drive a lot. So I'm driving, and, and we're watching the light. And I, know, I understand how lights work. You stop on the red, and then you go on the green. So I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there waiting on, on the red, and I understand. And it's red, and it's and it, but it's still pink. It's not the green yet. It's pink. And it's pink, and Trudy is like, it's green. You can go now. And I say, okay, babe. I, I got eyes. But I've discovered something. She's not trying to get on my nerves. No. Write that down. She's not trying She's to get on your nerve. Helping. Trying to help. Yes. That help thing. So that's the way we're created. Yeah. We're man is the image. We're talking about reflection. Man is the image of God and Jesus. We yeah. are the Son and the Father. And then the woman is like the Holy Spirit. One time mm -hmm. when Josh was little, your pastor, <laughs> he's probably six or so. He comes to mom, and I guess the revelation gift was already working. It was already pastor. there. Pastor was all over and him. And he says, Mom, so God is the Father, and Jesus is the Son, so who is the mama? Because it's a picture of a family. And the Holy Spirit is a male, but as you said, the, the mothering. The nurturing, nurturing side of, of the God. Holy Spirit. Yes. So you are called to reflect God. Let's move on. After reflect, then you're called to reproduce. We're called to reproduce. Uh that means you are supposed to replicate yourselves. God blessed marriage. God blessed the physical act of marriage. We're not going to get into that a lot tonight. Uh, but, but in marriage, God's designed us to have sex, and it's blessed. Yes. And God wants us to enjoy that, but also it was designed to reproduce or replicate ourselves. It's a beautiful thing. And I want to go to Malachi for just a minute. I want to spend a lot of time here. Uh, uh, and Pastor Sarah's teaching on raising kids, but it's so important, our children. And Malachi talks about really the purpose of marriage. Uh, verse 15, Malachi 2, but did he not make them, that's man and woman, one, having a remnant of the spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously 
with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. God has designed marriage to last forever. Now, I, I have to say this about that statement. God hates divorce because divorce is splitting up something that was meant to be joined. It's the destruction and, and it's hurtful and it's harmful and you'll carry scars of it. And, but you know why God, God hates? It doesn't say God hates divorced people because divorced people God wants to heal because God is a healer. This is good news. He, but here's why he hates divorce. He hates divorce because of what divorce does to people. Mm -hmm. And he hates people to hurt. That's why you work on this. And, say, and you know why he hates that? Because he went through one. Yeah. Because when the Bible says that God had to cast Adam and Eve out of the garden, I think we look at that sometimes and just think, well, God was mean and ugly. And, and I've seen pictures of this, old ancient pictures and they're like, they're like angels with whips driving them out. And Adam and Eve are going like this. You've seen any of those old, and you know, you're thinking, well, God is just, no, I don't think it was like that. No. It said God hates divorce because that word says he had to send them forth out of the garden. It means he had to divorce them. So God hates divorce because he went through one. And it not only hurt man, it hurt God. That was his, that was his family. This is his family. That's his heart. He hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. He's being very blunt about this. we got to fight divorce with all we have. And it's so sad that half of people that get married in the church, they say, you know, in the world it's 50% divorce rate. Well, it's about the same in the church. And it's because the enemy tries to get in. So we have to, we have to understand that. Uh, one of the greatest things we can do is produce children that live for God, yes. replicate ourselves in our children. And, and uh, then we're called to reproduce, to, and that includes your career, your relationships. That includes your serving the, uh, in the church, in the body of Christ. And that will be, I believe, uh, whenever we leave this earth, and Trudy and I are closer to the end than we are to the beginning. So maybe we think about this more than younger people. But it's so important that what we leave behind is not just a bunch of money. That's great. Or not just a big house. That's okay. But the legacy of us living for God. And I want to read this to you. This is Trudy's mother wrote this. She wrote a book for her family. She had grandchildren. She had great-grandchildren. She had great-great-grandchildren. She died when she was 94. She, her husband, uh, Trudy's dad, passed away at 87. 89. 89. So he, he preceded her a few years. But I want to read this to you. This is, I quote her. We brought up our children to believe and trust God. This was quite a lady. Sorry. Some, there is no other way. Someday the angel that came and took Bo home, that's her dad, and she saw that angel in the corner of the room when he passed away. He will come to get me. And I will know him. Sorry. Because I saw him. I will be ready to go. My prayer for you is that I will meet you all there. Love and cherish one another because God is love. Blessings to all of you. Ruth, Catherine, Reamer, Burke, your mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, and great-great-grandmother. Isn't that awesome? That's the will of God for us as a church. Yeah. 
That's the will of God. So we are to reproduce. Number three, we are to reign. Yes. We are to reign. We are, in your marriage, you are designed with Jesus to take dominion. That's what God told Adam in the beginning, right? You are called to rule. The Garden of Eden, God put them there to rule. You know, I don't, I believe, I don't know if that garden was necessarily a place as much as it was God in them. And maybe I'm sure it was a wonderful place. But God wanted them to take that and spread it, yeah. I believe, all over the world mm -hmm. with succeeding generations. Uh, and uh, so what happened was in our book we talked about it. I've already men mentioned it, that God put them in the hedge of eternal life. Adam didn't keep up the hedge. And so the serpent came in and tricked them. And they disobeyed God and they fell. And Ecclesiastes 4.10 is so sad. It said, but if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him is who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And really, that's what happened to mankind. We fell. Adam and Eve fell. And they didn't have anybody to help them up. And now life is different and it's hard. But here is the good news. You ready for some good news? Jesus came. Jesus came. He restored everything when he came. He restored marriage when he came. And now with the presence of Jesus in our marriage, if you're saved, if you're born again, if you feel the Holy Spirit, now with him, you can fulfill this commission. Yes. You're not alone anymore. You can reflect the image of God again. You can reproduce. You will be opposed and challenged. But we can raise godly children if we'll work at it, and it's a challenge. I raised two. I know. It's a challenge, but we have Jesus to help us, and then we are called to reign. Let me read you a couple of, script, a couple of scriptures. Uh, Romans 5, 17. For by one man's offense, death reign. That's Adam. Through the one, death reign. Much more, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Somebody should say amen. amen. That good news, we can do this. Uh, we can do that by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that is in us, 2 Timothy 1.14. The good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So now we have been through Jesus Christ. We don't live in the Old Testament. We are in the New Testament. Right. We are talking to people who have been transformed by the power of God. So how now is this supposed to work? It's not just to keep in the rules and regulations, but it's really kind of boiled down by Paul in, in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to read what, what husbands, what your assignment is. Go to Ephesians chapter 5, and then Trudy's going to read the assignments of the women. Then we're going to get into some practical things. We'll do this quickly, okay? All right, here's a husband's. This is your command in the New Testament. Husbands, and I'm reading from this so beautiful, from the voice translation, mm -hmm. if you've got that on your phone or whatever. Uh, but here we go. Uh, Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, you must love your wives so deeply, purely, and sacrificially that we can understand it only when we compare it to the love of the anointed one for his bride, the church. You know, the love, the word love in the Hebrew language, it means this, I will give. So love is more than just, you look at her and say, man, babe, you look good. Man, I love you. You're hot, babe. That's part of it, but that's a small part of it. Love means you will give. You will serve. You will 
till death do your part, you will sacrifice. And that's what Jesus did, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. Love means I will give. I love it that John 3.16, God doesn't just say God loved the, for God loved the world. That'd be enough. But it said, for God so loved the world. Man, when he looks at me and you, he so loves us. Isn't that awesome? So good. We keep reading. Uh, when we compare it to the love of the anointed one has for his bride, the church, we know he gave himself up completely to make her his own. Listen to the sacrifice. Washing her clean of all her impurity with water and the powerful presence of his word. You need to speak good words over your spouse, guys. Your words either build her up or tear her down. Words are powerful. He has given himself so that he can present the church as his radiant bride, unstained, unwrinkled, and unblemished, completely free from all impurity, holy, innocent before him. So husbands should care for their wives as if their lives depended on it. The same way they care for their own bodies. As you love her, you ultimately are loving part of yourself. Remember, you're one flesh. No one really hates his own body. He takes care to feed it and love it, just as the anointed takes care of his church. How many enjoy eating you doing it yourself? Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, we like to take care of ourselves, right? It's a big part of our life. We're supposed to take care of our bride like we take care of ourselves. That's a commission of husbands to the wives. And this is the wives. Wives, it should be no different with your husbands. Submit to them as you do to the Lord, for God has given husbands a sacred duty to lead as the anointed leads the church and serves as the head. The church is his body. He is her savior. You're her savior. You mean you're their saviors. You're supposed to watch over them. So wives should submit to their husbands respectfully in all things, just as the church yields to the anointed one. You know, when a, when a woman knows that her husband has been with God, she doesn't have any problem submitting. She has no problem submitting. That, in fact, if you want her to submit to you, you have to submit too. You have to submit up. Because the scripture says that God is the head of Christ that are the, are, reflects the glory of, of Christ or Christ reflects the glory of God. But then Christ reflects the glory to man. Man reflects the glory to the woman. And so you see there's a, a descending order there. But each time it's, it's talking about the person before that, God is a reflection. Christ is a reflection of God. And then man's a reflection of Christ. Wife's a reflection of the man. So if your husband doesn't look, I mean, if your wife doesn't look like Christ, then you're probably not reflecting Christ. See, it, it, that's how it works. Because glory, it says that a, a woman is man's glory. Glory means reflection. So if you look at her and you don't like what you see, you need to look at your leadership. Are you reflecting Christ to her? Because when you reflect Christ to her, she's going to shine like the, the, the light of the world. She'll grow. She'll be blessed. But if you want her to submit to you, you have to submit to Christ. Because when you don't su submit to Christ, 
she probably won't submit to you, and he's going to let you feel through her what he feels from you. Does that make sense? You're not minding me, so she ain't going to mind you. You get that? Drew's spanking you. She's spanking you. <laughs> but that, that's why submission, that makes safe submission, see? You don't submit to someone that hurts you, talks down to you, hits you, treats you anyway. Because, number one, you submit to them as you would to the Lord. Would the Lord t talk down to you? Would he hurt you? Would he hit you? Would he make you feel bad? No. He would only love you and bring you up to a higher level. So that's the job of the husband. And, yeah, it's a big job. It is. But that's why God created you a man, because you can do it. <laughs> and you're responsible. So, anyway. It's interesting here. Let's, uh, we're talking about Jesus-centered marriage. Jesus in the middle of your marriage. Let's go back to that. Right. We now can do that. We're New Testament church. So th these scriptures here in Ephesians 5 and then in 6 has talked about relationships. Like it talks about husbands to wives, also children to their parents, employer to employee relationships. It talks about how to handle a slave if you're a master. <laughs> so... It even deals with how we have a re how our relationship with the devil works, mm -hmm. which means we are to resist him. It talks about that, mm -hmm. but it's all preceded these having successful relationships, including your marriage, by Ephesians five eighteen. I'm going to read it. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the way it's supposed to work. This is where we've been going all night. In order to, to make your marriage work, you got to have God in the middle of it. you got to be filled with the Spirit. Now, whenever you get saved, Jesus comes to live. The Spirit makes, gives you a brand new spirit. I mean, it's a miracle. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's not just you just decided to turn over a new leaf. If you really got saved, you changed. Mm -hmm. You were born again. You, you came from death to life. And now you are born unto God, and then you can be filled with the Spirit. That's another, uh, being baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's another part of that. But then, here's the way this thing works. You're filled, but folks leak. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, God's there, but it's like we're humans, and we, we deal with the world, and we, we go about our life, and, if, and we have to go get refilled. In fact, this really means be being filled. It's like an ongoing thing that we continue to do on an ongoing basis, daily basis. And that's why we pray, and that's why we come to church, and that's why, uh, that's why we go get in the Word again, to remind us of who we are. So we got to keep Jesus in the middle. So we're going to give you, we got seven quick things, and honey, we got a few minutes to do this, all right? To say, here's practical things. So write these down to keep Jesus, the, the Holy Spirit's power in the middle of your life. Number one, your individual relationship with God takes priority over your relationship with each other. That's important. God needs to be number one. Why is that? You know, all these directives we've been giving you, here's the thing. We don't do these things perfectly. No. Nobody does. No, no. We're humans. You know, we mess up. I mess up. You know, Trudy talked about uh, the, the help me means uh, the helper with a different opinion is one of the, one of the things about that. We've been married for 51 years last August. I think we've probably been married longer than anybody in here. But I've got to tell you something. We disagree about something pretty much every day. I'm being honest with you. 
We just learn to manage that. I mean, we do. We're putting this document together. We always disagree about things. We say, no, I think we should say it. No way. And, and it takes us a long time to get, yeah. We collaborate. That's a good word. But here's the thing. You, you, you got to put God number one individually. You know, uh, here's what happened in our life. She got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit before me. And, and, and she's like, it happened one afternoon. It was a miraculous thing. She, when we got married, Trudy was 17, barely. She, got set, she turned 17. The next month, she got married to me. I was 19. So we know nothing, right? And especially we didn't know I was drinking. I was a mess. I had really, if you can imagine, this is back in the 70s. And I had really long, bushy hair that came down to my shoulders. I couldn't even do that again if that got popular. Uh, and we loved each other, but we're fighting. And, and, you know, we're, and she cried out to God one day. Honestly, and she's always had this ability to just go get with God. I said, God told God this. Just boldly, God, if you don't show me you're real, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to go to church ever again. You're going to have to show me because I can't really see that you've ever helped me in my life. That's what you said. You did that to God. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be that bold. But you know what happened? The next day, the next day, somebody came to our apartment that had gotten saved and filled the Spirit, prayed with her. She got saved and filled the Spirit, and then just erupted on me when I came home that night. And she, here's what she said. She said, she said, today, honey, I got saved. And I knew about that. I heard of that. And then, she, and then she said, and I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I can speak in this new language. You want to hear me? That's what she said. And I said, okay, I guess. So she commenced to take me in the bedroom, and then she began to pray. And I'm thinking, wow, I never heard of anything like that. It kind of freaked me out. And yet I could tell that that was real. That was not, she wasn't making that up. And then she got up and turned on the light. She turned off the light when she prayed. I thought that was funny. And then she turned on the light, and she said, what, what do you I think? I was 17. She said, this is true. What, I said, she said, what do you think? I said, you're good at that. That was awesome. She said, are you ready? I said, for what? She said, you can, you can have this too. You can be saved. You can be filled with the Spirit. And you, you can do that. I said, no, 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 no. But you know what? She, she tells a story. I'm telling your story. She, she says it kind of threw her. But then she began to, she thought, he just doesn't understand how good this is. So she didn't nag me. She didn't even try to preach at me. She just began to live differently. In fact. The Holy Spirit, I, I mean, at this time in our life, uh, he came home every night. And you got to understand the times, too. It was during the Vietnam War. He's number, what, 33 on the draft. Could go to Vietnam any time. He can't sleep at night. He's about to fail out of college for worry, trying to take care of a new bride. He's drinking a lot. And uh, it, it was dark. You know, it was a dark time. But... Um, one of the things the Lord told me, he's after I, you know, he'd come home and I'd be reading my Bible because I just enjoyed it so much and I understood it for the first time in my life. And but he'd walk in the door and one of the things the Holy Spirit told me, he says, "Don't make him jealous of me." That's what the Lord told me. He said, "You love him like you've never loved him before." And I began to, he'd walk in and he'd get mad, you know. He'd say, "All you want to do is read your Bible." And I'd say, and I just shut it and I'd say, "Well, what do you want to talk about?" And I would love on him. And I remember one night in particular. Do I have time to tell this? Okay. Um, 
you know, I'm just doing what, I'm 17, I know nothing, I'm just, the Holy Spirit was my friend, and he helped me with this. And so his buddies would come over, and they would drink, and, 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 and I remember one night they all came over, and they're all, you know, pretty much soused, and so you know what that means, don't you? Drunk, yeah. So anyway, then he begins to, to testify to them about what had happened to me. My, my, this happened to my wife. Well, they started disagreeing with him, and so he started cussing them. Well, I, you know, my wife, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, I don't know if this is the way it's supposed to go, but I was proud of him that I thought, he must be listening to me a little bit. But, but a lot of times at night, he'd drink and fall asleep. And never, he wouldn't even remember what I said. But the one thing that I was told when I got filled with the Spirit, I had one scripture. You don't have to have the whole Bible. You don't have to have the whole Bible. I had one scripture. Somebody told me, when you pray in the Spirit, you're praying a perfect prayer according to the will of God. And I thought, oh, okay. I don't know what's wrong with him. I don't know why he doesn't want this, but the Holy Spirit knows. So I'd wait till he fell asleep because he usually fell asleep every night because he drank so much. And I would lay my hands on his back. And I would just pray in the spirit for him until he fell asleep, not knowing that it was doing any good. In fact, I didn't think it was doing one bit of good. I didn't see any change. But God started chasing him everywhere he went. I did not know this. But he would be somewhere. He'd be in the grocery store where he worked in the back. And he said the presence of God would come in like a blanket and drop on him. And he'd begin to weep. And God would say, I love you. I love you. And then there was one final day when you were driving to the liquor store. You want to tell that part? Yeah, this is when the, I've told this story a lot, but that's when the Lord came in the car and said, I love you. Said three things I'll never forget. Really marked my life and it's, it's really him for anybody. I love you. I want to help you. Why don't you ask me to help you? That's what he said to me. And I didn't ask that day. And he didn't help me. But when I did, he did. But one of the things that, that provoked me to get right with God was her relationship with God. And honestly, I watched her and I thought, well, she's serious about this. And I knew she put God number one. And I thought, I could lose her if I keep messing around. And her relationship with God made me want to have my own relationship with God. And that's the heart of everything. That's Each that of you chaste, serving. That's that chaste convert. You know, it says in Peter that you can win them by your chaste behavior. That's what that means. Your, your chaste conversation, but it actually means your chaste behavior. Just a love of God. Love so num of God. Number two, we've got to hurry. Okay. Number two point, practical point. If, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, make God's Word the number one priority of your life. Now, there's a lot of ways you can do that. Uh, it, it came er, early on, a few months into our marriage. We, we moved from West Texas to Fort Worth, and I, I, we got involved in a good church. I played drums and was on the, the worship team there. But my life changed when a preacher came to our church and talked about the importance of memorizing Scripture. And I began to memorize the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you, you can't be filled with the Spirit if you don't have the Word in you. 
because the word is God. Jesus is the word. It comes alive. I, I can't tell you what happened as I'm, medit- as I'm learning scriptures. I'd get little three-by-five cards, drive around, and, and memorize scripture. And I'd go over these scriptures. I would say them over and over. And I, and, I, and I would do that. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how to say this, but that would come alive. And I would think, this is not just words. This is me. This is who I am. Right. I am the righteousness of God. I am, this is me. This is talking about me. It bore witness. The word of God is alive. Yes. If you want to be filled with the spirit, you got to get in his word. Number three. Men need to lead the marriage spiritually. In the beginning of our relationship, Trudy was a strong one. And she got saved before me, and, and, and she was smarter than me, and she knew more, more of the Bible than me. And I would kind of defer to her for, for a few months. But then God started dealing with me, and he, it's kind of like the Lord started saying, you're going to have to step up the plate, bub. If this thing's going to go where we're supposed to go, because we knew we had a call of God on our life. We knew we were called into ministry. We didn't know what that was going to look like. Uh, I, I was musical. I, I, I led worship. I played the drums back then. Uh, I, we kind of thought I would write some songs, and I did. I wrote kids' songs uh, that still are around today. So that was a part of my big, that was my songwriting. So we didn't know how it was going to work. But uh, I knew God had something for us to do. But there came the time when I started going, I'm going to have to start leading this thing. Trudy was real strong in the beginning. But then there came a time when she, she was weaker. When we had our first baby, when we had our daughter, she had a hard time. The baby was six weeks early. She developed toxemia. It was a really dangerous thing. Her kidneys were failing. They had to take the baby. There was a question if the baby would, be, would live or if she would live. The doctor told us that after it was over, we prayed, and, uh, and it was like a miracle. And the doctor told us after it was over, he said, this was textbook. This is 1975. If one thing would have gone wrong, we could have lost you or we could have lost the baby or both of you. God helped us. God is so good. But when she came out of that pregnancy, she had really rough uh, postpartum. postpartum and depression and the blues hit her so hard. And, and now, you know, that's just when the time I'm memorizing Scripture and she'd always been stronger, but now one night I came home, she, she wasn't able to go to church, so she wasn't hearing the word, you know, and, and this is back before you had, you know, well, internet. And too, because the baby was premature, they wouldn't let me go to the nursery with her. Yeah, that's true. So I'm... So she's like isolated. Yeah. So I came home one night, and I had been to a really good service, and I came and said, listen, babe, and I looked her in the eye, and I said, I, we're, we're going on. If I have to piggyback you on my back, we're going to get you. We're going to get you through this. And there's going to be times you're going to have to piggyback each other. That's right. There's going to be times when some of you will be weaker, the other one will be stronger. That's right. And you need to respect that, love each other, love each other through it, and just be there. There were, right. you know, see, I was for him. I was there for him when he was weak in the beginning. So I got to reap the benefit later when I needed him. And that's what life's all about. You sow for life. You sow for life. Because then seeds come up later for you when you need them. Right. Your whole life is sowing, every bit of it. But back to our point, as a man, you need to take the lead. You need to be the one to get in the Word. You need to be the one to pray. 
You need to be the one to go in with those little kids, talk to them about Jesus. As you get older, you need to be the one. You're a man of God, no matter what. As I get older, I want to be the. I still want to be the man of God. I want to be a man. My kids see me being a man of God. My grandchildren see me being a man of God. Are you with me? Men need to lead. Something comes into order when, when we lead spiritually. Number four, we've got to hurry. Pray together. It will produce intimacy, and you will discover your spiritual gifts. Mm-hmm. You know, the divorce rate I, I mentioned is around 50%. I read different things about that for first marriages. Did you know it goes up to 78% for second marriages? It's like we try this a second time and we didn't learn our lesson. But for people, this is an amazing stat. You ready? Mm-hmm. For people that pray together daily, it drops to under 1%. Praying together does something. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be long. No. But it's just connects. It keeps you connected with, remember, there's three, the threefold court. Just pray. Trudy and I dedicated ourselves when we were young. We've been married a few years. Brooke was a baby. And we said, hey, let's, let's, we got to dedicate some time together to pray. So my day off was Monday. And we would, a lot of times we'd fast all day. And then that night we'd spend some time together in prayer. And we'd, you know, pray scriptures and just pray about things. And then as we would do that, God began to teach us things. Mm-hmm. And we're praying and, and we may be praying in the spirit together. And one of us would say, I think God's given me a word. And the other one would say, okay, what is it? And here's the cool thing about marriage. If you mess up and it's wrong, you're not, you don't embarrass yourself. It's just between you two. Nobody knows. <laughs> you know, now we've been in the ministry, traveling ministry, and a lot of times God uses us in the gifts of spirit. I mean, prophetic things. I was just in North Carolina this weekend with a, ch- a church. It was so cool. This young church. And they're, they're, they got this excitement about them. They haven't been going very long. And the Lord gave me a word for the pastor, and I didn't know what it was. But I didn't even know the importance of it, but it just rang a bell for him. But I learned to do that when we were in our living room praying together. And we say, Lord, I think he told me this. Yeah. And then we'd see, sometimes we'd miss it. That's okay. Or we'd write it down, and then later on something would happen. We'd go, wow. That's what we prayed about. We prayed about that. We, see, God wants to be in the middle yeah, of that. And does. the gifts of the Spirit spoken of in, in the Word of God, 1 Corinthians, are for, they're not just for church service. They're for, they're for life. Yeah. Yeah. They they're for your marriage. Mm-hmm. We don't have time to teach on that, but pray together. Okay, number five, be accountable to your spouse mm-hmm. on your devices TV, listen, write this down. Never be alone with a member of the opposite sex. In a room, in a car, anything like that. Ne- I, I, I'm, a, I, I'm a dog about this, man. I'm very careful. Why? Why do I do that? Because I want to be accountable. You know, Trudy can check. I've got an iPad, my phone, and I never erase my history. She'll check it out. And sometimes she'll ask me, ask me a question. One time this thing popped up. And it popped up, and, and you, know, you know how the pop-up thing will work. And, I, and then it popped up a couple more times. And uh, it, was a, it wasn't nudity, but it was a picture. Of, I can't remember what it was. But when it pop up, i just get rid of it. But she checked out my, my iPad and said, hey, come here. And she was not happy about it. What is this? <laughs> this is keeps popping up. Well, I, I'm, honestly, I, and I explained it to her. I said, honey, yeah, I should have told you about it. And, and it's like, okay. I, <laughs> And she was a dog on me about that. 
But you know what? That's okay. Because I'm accountable to her. Now, we, she later discovered because it popped up again and I showed her. See, here it is again. And so we got rid of it and everything's good in our marriage. <laughs> but I'm accountable. I, on our TV, we have a code. You, you can't watch anything over PG-13. And I don't know the code. Nana is the keeper of the code. The grandkids try to bust the code. They can't do it. But so be accountable. That's somebody, there's a lot to say, but I won't say anymore. But, but that's, if you want to keep God in the middle, be accountable. Amen. Number six, learn to flow in the spirit as partners. We kind of touched on that. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't have time to spend much time there. But let, so let's go to number seven. Be sensitive to the chapters of your life. God wants to talk to you concerning the chapters of your life. Now, this, you know, you're, some of you are younger. You need to hear this now because yeah. you're going to have chapters. Yeah. Things change. We've had chapters. Yeah. I had a chapter where I worked in kids' ministry, and it was a great chapter. And I dressed up like a cowboy. Some of you may have heard of the Gospel Bill show that I was on that was in the 80s and 90s all over the country. It was really cool to be a part of that. I wrote kids' songs for it. But then there came, I used to get in a dog suit and do dog skits. But then there came, I don't do that anymore. It's not because I'm too good. It's just that's a chapter back there. I'm too old. Then there was a day I led worship. And I led worship in a church of 8,000 people. It's a wonderful chapter. The church was growing in Tulsa, church on the move. And man, it was a cool chapter of my life. And then it began to change. I wasn't enjoying it as, as, as much. And I became 50. And I thought, Ain't too cool to see a 50-year-old jumping on the stage anymore like that. And I began to feel change coming, but I didn't, wasn't sure what to do. During this time, Trudy's praying, the Holy Spirit's working on us. And I'd come home, and she'd say, she'd meet me at the door. And I was kind of frustrated, to, but I, I'd done this. I'd been with this ministry for 20 years. It's hard to change. Nobody told me how to change, you know? I'm telling you, you got to learn to change. And, and, uh, I'd come home, she'd say, I was praying today, babe, and I saw us, and I saw us in churches, and we were preaching and teaching, and we we're teaching on stuff, and I said, well, that sounds cool, but that can't happen, because if that happened, I'd have to leave here, and that's what God was saying. I want you to leave here. It was time to leave. It was hard to leave, too. It was hard because I'd been there for 20 years. It was hard on us. It was hard on the, the guy that I worked with, Willie George, because we were real close, and now there's going to be a little bit of... It wasn't comfortable. I wish I could say everything would be comfortable. But if you follow God, it, you're going to have some challenges. But we began to do that, mm -hmm. and God blessed it. See, if it's right, and you're in agreement. See, here's the cool thing. God told her first, because she's going to have to be willing to pick up and travel with me. And lay down, and, and, you know, lay the big, down a salary. Yeah, the sal I, how many like salary? If I leave there, I don't have one anymore. No more. This is by faith, but it was God. And we did that 20 years. And now we're in the midst of another change. Now we're here in this chapter. Yep. What a good chapter. Amen. We love this church. Does this help anybody? Yes. I got one more scripture, and then here's what I'd like to do as we close. 745. If you want to do this, you don't have to do this. But a lot of times in our marriage events on the road, Trudy and I will lay hands on people for their marriage. Pray for and you know, laying hand, the laying on of hands is one of the basic doctrines. It's one of the six major doctrines of the New Testament. And when, we, when you lay hands on somebody, it's not magical, but things can be imparted to you when hands are laid on. It can be a supernatural 
exchange. In, in other words, things happen. That's why God did, told us to do it. He said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. It's like the energy and the power and the, the revelation of God can flow through a person to another. So tonight as we close, we're going to lay hands on, on you. And uh, if you want us to, we're, we're, as we close, we've, let me give you this one last scripture. It says, we're talking about a Jesus in the middle of your marriage, right? We're talking about the threefold course, not two, not just the two of you. You're not alone. No. God's never, in the middle of you. Never, 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 never. You're not alone. Ephesians 4, 3, make every effort to preserve the unity the Spirit has already created with peace binding you together. That's our last scripture for tonight. So, Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.